0: Um, I have one announcement, uh, and that is Pumpkin Killing, October twenty seventh. One person, okay, great. Uh, October twenty seventh, 30 to four PM. Now, what Pumpkin Killing is? It's a if you have like some friends, it's like, oh, I'd really like to invite someone to church, but Element is a bunch of weirdos. Uh, invite them to Pumpkin Killing because pu- <laughs> it's not. It's a, It's l- l- let me tell you what happens with people who have never been to Pumpkin Killing before, and they see this this pumpkin shot out of a can, and they're all. La, la, la. Then they go and they sit down and they watch. At pumpkin killing, invite somebody to that. If they're like, oh, I don't know if I want to really want to go, offer to give them a ride. If they get there and they get bored, Drive them back home. But at pumpkin killing, there's going to be food. Uh, there's get, not just pumpkins. Okay? We're making like different food as well. Uh, there is carving. If you want to carve a pumpkin, there'll be pumpkins for free. Uh, somebody I'm related to owns a farm, and they planted a bunch of pumpkins, and so the pumpkins are free. You can carve those. If you've got someone on your street who maybe can't afford to buy a pumpkin, Take them and let them carve a pumpkin. It'll be great. Uh, And again, when it's all over, you can leave and stay as long or as short as you want or the whole time. It's all going to be great. What we need from you is a little bit of help. If you're going to be there, could you just give us maybe a half an hour of your time? And it can be a a whole mess of different things. If you like a little bit of power that goes to your head, we can give you a walkie-talkie. And we have this road as you drive up. And we shoot the pumpkins over this road so we have to stop the cars. Now, in previous, in previous years, okay, we, we don't shoot when the cars are going. We're not going to do that this year either. So uh, what we're going to do, though, is we're going to have people on either sides of this. And so you're going to have like a walkie-talkie be like, huh? yeah, okay, stop. And you, can, you have like all the power in the world. And all the cars are going to stop. We're going to shoot a couple pumpkins. Okay, and then you can let them go. So you can be like in control of the world, you and your walkie-talkie. If you don't want to do that. Uh, you can help serve food. You can I was watching the video last week of pumpkin killing, and I'll... and it looks like this kid was going to like cut his thumb off. He's like, Bruh! you can help a kid carve a pumpkin so he doesn't lose fingers. There's <laughs> all kinds of things you can do. Just ask you for half an hour. Is Sarah in here? Am I pushing this good enough? Yeah, is that good? All right, so sign up by the Welcome Center. If none of you sign up, I don't know what else I can do. <laughs> anyway. Pumpkin killing. You should come do that. October 27th. It's three weeks. We're trying to think of some good ideas for targets this year. Uh, That's what I got. Welcome to Element. If you are new, come to pumpkin killing. Uh, If you are new, there are Bibles in the seat backs in front of you. If you don't own one, you can have one. If you forgot one, you can use one. There are sermon notes on all the communion tables throughout the room. Look like this. On the inside, you'll get some notes and questions to reflect on what we talk about today. If you have a smartphone, you can download an app. It's called YouVersion. When you download it, it just says Bible. And then click on more and then events in UVersion. We will come up by GPS in your smartphone and you will get sermon notes, verses, questions, announcements, all that goes with today's message. All I hear is just woo like someone's really excited. <laughs> this is a baby. Uh, where was I? Oh, my, my name is Aaron. I'm one of the pastors here. Why don't you stand with me for the reading of God's word? This is Ecclesiastes chapter 9 verse 16 and it says but I say that wisdom is better than might though a poor man's wisdom is despised and his words are not heard let's pray Father, this morning I ask that you would teach us what it means to be a people uh, who trust you in the midst of what takes place in the world around us, that we would be those who understand that there are good head answers for believing in who you are, but there's also heart answers as well. And as today as we talk about these things, you would reveal the things to us that we need to know, uh, things that will lead us to a greater understanding and trust in who you are, and that you would walk out in this world making a difference because you have first made a difference in us. Amen. Have a seat. All right, so we're gonna, I'm going to jump right in. I've got a few things to get through today. Uh, Michael, who has written most of the sermon note questions for this section of this series, said he feels like I jump around a lot today. So if I do, really sorry. I'm going to try and bring it all together for you at the end, uh, where I think we've had a lot of fun in the last couple weeks with certain things. Today's a little more serious, a little more philosophical, a little more heady. Uh, So don't get lost. Uh, Open your Bibles to Ecclesiastes chapter 9. That's where we are. Uh, So far in Ecclesiastes 9, uh, Solomon has talked about death and joy in life, the idea being that joy has found us before our death, so we should embrace it as long as we can. Uh, While we have life, we have the opportunity to make the most of the days in which we live to maximize all that God has given us, and the day is going to come when death overtakes us and our labors come to an end. So while we are alive, we should be ambitious about our worship of God and our jobs and our homes and our families and our friends and our churches and our ministries, because we have no idea what God may do in and through us into our tomorrows. And today, I want to kind of zero in on by the end of this of what we are listening to. I called this message listening over the vapor or the meaninglessness that is around us because there are a lot of things in our lives that clamor for our attention. There's a lot of ver- uh, people who have voices that are kind of speaking into what we're doing. And wisdom is a people who listen to what God says over everybody else. Too often what happens is uh, our, our view of the world gets skewed because of all the voices that are around us and there's so much sound there's this cacophony of sound around us that tends to make us lose sight of what God is calling us into. And so this is how Ecclesiastes uh, 9, 11 starts what we're starting with this week. He says again I saw that under the sun the race is not to the swift meaning sometimes the slow guy will win the Olympic gold medal or the tortoise beats the hare or the guy with the, with the sledgehammer beats the steam engine nor the battle to the strong sometimes the little guy is going to find the, gla- the glass jaw of the bully like and back to the future, no, biff, right? Takes him out. Nor bread to the wise. Uh, sometimes the dummy gets ahead with a, with a full fridge while someone who is prudent doesn't have any food at all. Nor riches to the intelligent. I was watching uh, this interview with a Bitcoin millionaire a couple weeks ago, and I'm thinking, yeah, riches sometimes do not go to the intelligent. <laughs> Sorry. Anyway, uh, <laughs> nor favor to those with knowledge. Uh, Sometimes someone who is very simple, who just kind of does their job, they get promoted to a place where they don't know how to manage people because they simply did another job really well. Uh, But time and chance happen to them all. Now, when Solomon says that, the perspective is under the sun. What if there is no eternity and no God? Well, it looks like there's chance in the world. Solomon doesn't really believe in chance, but it's just kind of this idea. If all there is is under the sun, then there must be chance. Now, because God is a God of grace, the future is probably going to be different than any of us imagine. Could be better, could be worse, but we have no idea how things are going to come together. So we're supposed to walk through life trusting God and who He calls us to be. That means that we are a people who can live in freedom and joy and contentment. We don't always have to live in anxiety. Not that you're never anxious, but we don't have to live in a position of being anxious all the time because God is ultimately in control. And it can be different than any of us ever think. Chapter 9 verse 12, for man does not know his time like fish that are taken in an Evil net, like birds that are caught in a snare. So the children of man are snared at an evil time. And evil here means not good in his opinion. When it suddenly falls upon them. So we resemble fish. Uh, I think like finding Dory, right? When you're let's go to let's go go to the undertow. Anybody sing this? I thought that would go over first service. So I have no idea what I was talking about. I figure you guys got kids. You never mind. All right. Uh, so you go to the undertow, only to find yourself being dragged out to sea, like poor Dory. And God. Okay. Okay. All right. Or we're like birds, happily flying around till you get caught in a tangled in a tree or a six pack wrapper or some sort, and at that point, life swallows you up by death. And so what Solomon is saying is, we got to hurry up because God only knows the end of our days and how many remain. It's like Jesus says in John ten ten, I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. And so as believers in who God is and who Jesus is, we should live a full life with Jesus. And we'll come to different places in life where we get convicted of different things. And so we repent and we pray and we love God and move forward. And so what Solomon is doing is he's looking at a lot of things in life from the perspective of someone who is very secular. Like he uses that word chance, not that he believed in it. He lives the middle part of his life like a, like a philosophical atheist, essentially. And a lot of the things he writes in Ecclesiastes reflects that point of view, and that's why we have a problem with it. Because he's trying to move us to a position that he comes to at the end of his life where he, he believes in the biblical God, that God is the lover of our souls, that God is kind and good and wonderful, but he wants to walk us there. And so to Today, what I'm going to do is I'm going to extrapolate some things out of the text. Next, we're going to have a whole lot of fun and walk through it and what fools look like. Uh, but today, again, I'm going to extrapolate some things out what I think that can make sense to us and our culture just a little bit. So I'm going to kind of just go with me. We'll see how it goes. Uh, in, in a lot of America, if you asked Americans, do you believe in God? Most Americans will say yes. Uh, statistically, in America, more people believe in God than brush their teeth every day. Yeah, just think about that with that coworker. Anyway. But, but people will say, but I, he, he's not knowable. There, there is a God, or maybe there's a God, I don't know, but if there is, how do we really know what he wants for us? How do we really know that he's there? So what we need to do is just make the most of our lives whatever we want. And Ecclesiastes shows what somebody did who tried to just do that under the sun. And this is why Ecclesiastes keeps dealing with these issues of justice and pleasure and achievement that's all centered upon ourselves. What do we look to for the answers in our lives if all there is is, under the sun. Well, we look to our achievement. What is worth doing in my life? What makes me feel better? So what am I going to spend my time doing so I feel better? Or pleasure? What gives me happiness? What makes me then feel better? What satisfies me so I feel better? Justice. You know, look at the injustice around us in the world. What things do I want to get involved in so that I can bring about an end to injustice? But that's typically a self-centered look because we want to make ourselves feel better and not that there's anything wrong with achievement or pleasure or justice there's not typically what we do though under the sun is we try and look to those things to give us our fulfillment and people who don't think they do that are solomon says you're fooling yourself because we all are many times people who believe in god will do the same thing in regards to believing in god they'll try and find the fulfillment in him giving them something so they feel better about themselves rather than worshiping who god is and as you walk through this life with these things really heavy around us it's like the price is right it's like, how much is that thing? And everybody's shouting an answer at you. Oh, it's this, it's this, it's this. And with the cacophony of noise, you tend to lose sight of what the truth actually is. You want to be closest without going over, so you pick an answer. Usually it's the wrong one, right? And so this is the whole idea that Solomon's trying to get us to see. He's brilliant. He does not just openly lay out all the doubts about everything. But what he will say is, you can have doubts about belief. You can have doubts about faith. You can ask really good questions. But what he also says is, if you're going to ask those good questions about faith and belief, you should also ask those good questions about doubt itself. You should doubt your doubts. You should ask the same questions if there are doubts that are there. If you're going to doubt faith and ask hard questions about faith, you should also ask those hard questions about faith. Doubt your doubts. Like if someone runs around and says, well, this life is all there is. There is no God. What Solomon does in times in the book, he says, okay, well, good. Let's ask some good questions about that. Now, we dealt with this uh, before the summer in Ecclesiastes. You know, how do you deal with the injustice in the world and the injustice of life? You can go back to listen to that if you missed it, but this really is the main spiritual issue with people today that they have with God and so Solomon's going to make sure that you can't get around that that you have to go in and you have to answer that question about God and life and injustice and Solomon says time and chance happen to them all for man does not know his time like a fish that, like fish that are taken in an evil net like birds that are caught in a snare so the children of man are snared at an evil time when it suddenly falls upon them it doesn't matter who you are it doesn't matter what you do whether you're good or horrible Things are going to happen to us constantly that we are not prepared for, and they happen seemingly randomly, and you can't avoid it. You never know when it's going to happen. What do all the voices around you say about that? Because everybody's got a voice of what they say. People say, oh, look at that. I guess the race isn't to the swift, or, you know, like you may be swift, but you may lose, or you may be brilliant, but you may not succeed. And so many commentators will say when Solomon starts talking like this that he's just gloomy and he's being a downer, but I don't think so. Because I think Solomon is moving past all the randomness to make us think about things that are really deep, this general injustice that is in the world and reminds us because of the things that he says in Ecclesiastes 9. Ecclesiastes 9, 2, he says, It is the same for all, since the same event happens to the righteous and the wicked, to the good and the evil, to the clean and the unclean, to him who sacrifices and him who does not sacrifice. As the good one is, so is the sinner, and he who swears is he who shuns an oath. See, he's not just saying that good people have have it bad and bad people have it good cuz that's injustice but he says no matter what you do in life whether you live a life of love or hate everything you do is eventually going to vanish and if their life is just under the sun there's no point to it Ecclesiastes 9 verse 5 for the living know that they will die but the dead know nothing and they have no more reward for the memory of them is forgotten if all there is is under the sun and there is nothing else, then everything you do is going to be forgotten. The effect of everything you do Will be forgotten now you could go and build something like the pyramids right you're going to be remembered for the pyramids because they're still there but no one knew who the architect was right no one knows uh who managed the work crews or who died while they were building the dumb things you know we don't know that right this cosmic forgottenness it's going to lie at the end of every person's life and it doesn't matter what you've done it doesn't matter who you are that's your destiny and it's supposed to make you go, oh, this is so depressing. It's why we call this series the existential hangover because Solomon is saying, if under the sun this life is all that there is, then everything is meaningless. It's meaningless, and it's depressing, but Solomon is trying to make you see it in those terms so you realize that there is something more. It's why he will say, go uh, eat your food with gladness and drink your wine with a joyful heart. It's like, be clothed in white, good parties, look great, feel good, enjoy life with your wife all the meaningless days of your life because if this is all that there is you better try and get everything you can out of it and it's like he keeps coming back and saying i'm not going to let you tune me out i will not let you tune me out you have to see this he refuses to let us out from under the question of our lives in meaninglessness and injustice and especially the ultimate injustice if life is all that there is of cosmic forgottenness the beauty of the Bible and Ecclesiastes is you can't turn out injustice, but that's what our world says, and it's, and it's we shouldn't tune it out. But the Bible just doesn't leave you in despair. It moves us to another place where it says you don't have to stay in that despair because God is and has done something about it. I think that's why Ecclesiastes goes the way that it does because Solomon is trying to move us somewhere, and it's brilliant how he does it, but it's hard and it's shocking and it's pressing, but there actually is another way. I love how Tim Keller talks about this. He says, "...over the years it seems like increasingly i found the Bible's answer boils down to two answers, an answer for the mind and an answer for the heart. All by themselves they don't work, but together they're remarkable." And so, again, the writer of Ecclesiastes is brilliant without telling you how brilliant he is, right? He's just going kind to of move us in this, in this way. He takes us on a journey of metaphor to get there. He doesn't always explain what's going on because he wants you to struggle with it and work with it through him. If you've ever seen like, like a movie that every other scene, they're explaining to you what just happened. You're like, oh, this movie could have been half as long. Stop telling me what's going on. I can figure it out. Well, Solomon doesn't think you're dumb. Like he thinks you can try and figure it out. Apparently, I think you're dumb because I'm doing a sermon series explaining it to you, but you know, I'm different than him. Uh, my wife and I watch this show called Counterpart, and it's like you're halfway through the show, my wife's all, who's that? What's going on? What world are we in? What's going on? And I'm like, I don't know, right? It's just like, I, I don't know. But we love that because you've got to think through it and work through all the answers. That's what Solomon does. One commentator says this, Ecclesiastes is not a lecture. It's a seminar. He goads you. He role plays. He pushes you with questions. He gives you clues. So what I want to talk about today is that head answer and that heart answer of what those looks like, especially in terms of injustice and there being more to being under the sun. And I want to point out first, if you're in a place today where you are suffering or you're going through something, the head answer is not going to help you very much. You might think, why am I even listening to this? Get through that with me until we hit the heart answer, okay? But if you're not in a place of suffering, the head answer really is, it's it's kind of neat. So Solomon, what's his answer for the mind? Well, last week we looked at this, Ecclesiastes. 9.4, he says, a living dog is better than a dead lion. Now, I told you last week, context really matters. In this culture here, uh, dogs were despised. It's not like American culture where we love our dogs and take them everywhere and buy little purses for them to ride around in and Everybody's got them in the car with their head hanging out the window because we love our dogs. Not this culture. In this culture, dogs are the lowest form of animals. Uh, in the Old Testament, there's this evil queen Jezebel. Uh, she is thrown out into the street and she's eaten by dogs because it's the idea that the dogs deserve her. She's de- there's dogs because they're so low. Dogs would survive on garbage and dead bodies. That's what they were. But lions, on the other hand, lions were like the greatest noble beast. Even though it's a cat, I know, it's a big cat, so it's okay. And so what he's really saying is, well, it's better to be a liar or a scavenger and save your skin than the sun to be noble and then just die for it. What he says is what some people call shocking and vicious. He says, if there's nothing but what is under the sun, then it's better to save your skin, be a murderer, be a liar than it is to be a noble person and die for it. That's what he's saying. He says, well, he says what honest philosophers are now only having the guts to say in our world. That is, life is all that there is. If when you die and you rot, if we just evolved as the love child of protoplasm and chance, well, then it doesn't matter what we do, because there's no such thing in the end as right and wrong. There can't be. All moral distinctions are pointless. Alexander McIntyre is a philosopher, and he shows there's no such thing as what we would call abstract goodness. That goodness is always relative to a purpose, what something is for. Like he says, if someone gave you a a watch, and then they said, you know, is this this watch good? If you've never seen a watch before, hopefully you would ask a question like, I don't know, what's it for? Because if it's for pounding a nail, well, it's not very good for that, right? If it's for telling time, you're like, oh, yeah, that makes total sense. It's for telling time. What he says is we we don't know what a goodness uh, of anything is unless we actually know its purpose. We have to know its purpose. And so he says, what makes a human being good? He says, if we are accidents and there is no purpose, then it's dumb to say it's bad to hurt people. It's dumb to say there's injustice in the world because there is no reason to say any of that. If we are just here to survive, where the strong eat the weak, it's better to be a living dog than a dead lion. It's better to trample people and get ahead and hurt others if this life under the sun is all that there is, if there is no good or bad. And so Solomon says then, but here's the problem. Chapter 9, verse 3 of Ecclesiastes, the hearts of the children of man are full of evil. So if there is evil in the world, and you get to call it that, then there must be more than just what is under the sun. Derek Kidner writes this, he says, What we may not notice about verse 3 at first is that this sense of outrage is just as much a fact about us as is our mortality. The fascination of this book of Ecclesiastes throughout its length arises largely from the collisions of observation and equally obstinate and opposed intuition, so it pushes us towards a synthesis that is largely beyond its own pages. Let me translate that for you, Okay. What he says is, if you believe that this life is all that there is, then there can be no such thing as injustice. What Ecclesiastes does is push you beyond its pages because of how it leads you. Because deep inside, we know there is evil in the world. We know there is injustice in the world. At the heart of unbelief, because this thing that says, I don't believe in God because there's too much injustice in the world. But if there is no God, there's no basis for the outrage. There isn't any. Evil in the world is a problem. And if there is a God, there are reasons for why he allows it. There are reasons for that. We don't know what they are, so we get frustrated and we shake our fists at him. We say, how dare this happen? That doesn't actually make it any better. But if evil is a problem for you, there must be a God. There must be. If you are outraged and yet your own worldview gives you no basis for your outrage, that means your worldview is wrong. That's what he's saying. If you know there's injustice, even though you know there is no God, there shouldn't be an injustice, then you know that there has to be a God. Because there is injustice. What I mean is this evil is a problem for belief, okay? It is. We don't back away from that. We're more than willing to talk about it. But I also have to tell you, it's a bigger problem for unbelief. If you believe in God, there is a problem with evil, but it's a bigger problem if you don't believe, because if you don't believe in God, then the original reason for disbelieving is gone. It's just gone. There are really only two alternatives. Uh, Tim Keller says, so why not believe? (laughs) He says, if you get rid of him, God, out of your mental furniture, you have a bigger problem than if you keep him. And so there may be injustice in the world, but there's no God that's... Not, it's just cold comfort. That's all that it is. C.S. Lewis writes this book called A Grief Observed. And it's about after his wife dies. Uh, his wife's name was Joy. And it's, just, it's beautiful and painful, but this is what he writes in the book. The thing I am not so much afraid of is that there is no God. He says, I'm afraid of who he might be. I'm afraid of meeting a God I don't like. And this is why it's a beautiful book. You should read all the way to the end because he really explains God wonderfully by the end. What I think we need to see, though, is that if you have a problem with injustice in the world and say, that's why there isn't a God, that's not a reason why there isn't a God. It's not. It's, not. it's a reason why there is because you know there's a problem with these things in the world that's kind of this head answer right but there's also a hard answer Christianity just doesn't leave you there saying oh look there's a God it actually moves us to a place where God actually steps into the world into our injustice and gives us a hard answer about it and this is where Solomon goes Ecclesiastes 9 13 through 16 it's a weird story we're going to cover it more next week but I'm just going to kind of hit it and then talk about it this week Uh, 9 13 through 16 I have also seen this example of wisdom under the sun and it seemed great to me there's a little city with few men in it and a great king Came against it and besieged it, building great siege works against it. But there was found in it a poor wise man, and he by his wisdom delivered the city. Yet no one remembered that poor man. But I say that wisdom is better than might, though the poor man's wisdom is despised and his words are not heard. So there are three things about this wisdom that you see. First off, it is a saving wisdom. So you have this little city. It's like a Sisquak or Gary or something like that. And a great king with huge siege works comes against it. We're going to destroy it. Everybody's freaking out. There's no hope. What are we going to do? And this wise man steps in and does something to save the city. You don't know what it is, but there is wisdom that was so powerful that it saved the city. So it's a saving wisdom. The second thing is that it's a serving wisdom. It's a really odd story. Typically in the Old Testament, when someone is very wise, they are also wealthy. And so this is unusual because the wise man is poor. Uh, If you you are smart and you are wise, you typically get ahead in the world. How could you not? You make money, and so that's typically what they're seeing like in the Old Testament. But here, you confront it with the fact of this person who is the wisest of men, a supernaturally saving wisdom, and yet he has not used that wisdom to dominate other people. He uses it to serve others and saves them. He uses it in a humble way. So, it is a saving wisdom and a serving wisdom. And the third thing, which is most astounding, what Solomon says, is that no one remembered him. And this isn't the thing of like, who is that guy? Where did he go? It's not that kind of forgottenness. Solomon says he was despised. This means it's a vicious, deliberate forgetting that people turned on him because of his wisdom. They hated him for some way in coming and saving them. Now, hopefully, if you've been an element for any like the time, your light bulbs are starting to go off just a little bit, okay? Because uh, it sounds a bit like Jesus. Uh, Sinclair Ferguson wrote a book of Ecclesiastes, on Ecclesiastes called The Pundit's Folly. And he uses the word pundit for the preacher and and the teacher because a pundit is a critic or a commentator. So of these verses, this is what he says. He says, God has placed testimonies to his presence throughout our lives. There is no safe haven. There is no place where we can escape this reality. The words of Ecclesiastes 9, 13 to 16 read almost like prophecy. Whose name most naturally comes to mind when we hear of a poor man full of wisdom who became a savior, but whose life and teaching were rejected. The man the pundit, Solomon, saw was just a reflection of a wisdom beyond philosophical Arguments, wisdom himself, the true poor wise man who would become the Savior. As Paul describes him, Christ was crucified, was a stumbling block to the Jews, and foolishness to the Greeks, but to those whom Christ has called, both Jew and Greek, Christ is the wisdom of God and the power of God. It is like you keep seeing the gospel spoken throughout Ecclesiastes. So I know God's hands in it because many times the writer of Ecclesiastes probably doesn't even realize the things that he's truly saying and what they're ultimately pointing to. The writer of Ecclesiastes sees a wisdom here that begins to move his soul. We know why. Because it's a foreshadowing, a pre-echo of the greatest wisdom. And this is why Solomon's answer to our questions of God, justice, life, actually become a hard answer as well. Because we do not have a God who just sits up in heaven and says, I've got reasons for I'm not doing with evil. You've got to accept it. You're stuck with me. Tough. The true and living God has actually done something about it, something unbelievable that we call the gospel, the good news. We have forgotten God. Though he made us, we have run away from him. We've all gone our own way. Now, sometimes we might take a moment, like Christmas or Easter or funeral or something like that, and say, oh, yeah, maybe God. But in general, every day, we don't remember him. We don't walk with him. We don't look at everything through the lens of who God is and what he's calling us to in every single moment. We forget him, and we act as if we are our own God's. We turn away from the only permanent thing in our lives, and so we make everything about the temporary, our achievement, our justice, our pleasure. And in doing so, we become temporary. And under the sun, we are a people then who get faced with the prospect of cosmic forgottenness. But God has come and revealed himself. God has done something about it. He sends his son into the world. And on the cross, he does not give us a philosophical argument that's just for the head. He does not say, let me explain to you why, you know, unbelief has a greater problem with evil in the world than belief. What he says is, come to me, all you who are weary all who are heavy laden, if you're being crushed by the cosmic meaninglessness of what life seems like, come to me and you will find rest for your souls. That's what he says. On the cross, Jesus will cry out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Quoting the book of Psalms, Jesus takes on himself what we deserve. He is forsaken by his friends. He is punished and persecuted by his enemies. He is forsaken by the Father. So we are a people who do not have to be forgotten. And in the words of Solomon, the wisest and poorest of all was Jesus, who came as a man, was despised and rejected, so we don't have to be. It is why God can say in Isaiah 49, 15, Can a woman forget her nursing child that she should have no compassion on the son of her womb? Even these may forget, yet I will not forget you. Behold, I have engraved you on the palms of my hands. And that is the heart answer. That's the heart answer. Yes, the head answer is there has to be a God, okay? Okay. But the hard answer speaks to this grace and remembrance of us. And go back to where I started with this whole idea of we get distracted by so much sound that is around us that's trying to move our hearts and our minds in other directions and to trust who God is. Because so often we fail to hear and see and understand the good news of what God's rescue of us actually means. And people keep shouting things, so we go searching for something else. We can't. We should be like many of the writers of the Psalms who continually said, my biggest problem is I forget what you've done for me. Please teach me to remember you as you remember me. That's the beauty of this. We, gotta, we need to listen to him because God has sought us and God has said many things about injustice in the world through the writers of the scriptures. Solomon says that God will bring about ultimate justice, but too often we think that that justice is just for those evil people who are out there. It's not for us. As you read through the rest of Ecclesiastes, you realize we are those evil people as well. All the sons of man are are these people who do evil things to one another. And so God brings justice to all of it. He says, this is what's going to happen. And yet, in that, God then pays the penalty for that justice himself. As he comes and he rescues and he saves us, he pays our penalty in Christ to restore us. Because we need to be a people who listen to him and what he has said. And I do love talking to people about these head answers and talking philosophically and all that stuff. And sometimes people get lost, right? But in the end, I think it's the heart answer that ultimately matters, that God has seen our plight. He's seen our struggle. He knows where we are. And he knew exactly what would happen from the moment sin first entered the world. And this is why as soon as man fell in the garden, God comes and he promises in Genesis 3.15, I'm going to come and rescue you because it's the only rescue you will ever have or ever need. It is me, and God comes and rescues. And that's really that heart answer, that we are so lost. We can never do it on our own, and so God comes and rescues us where we are. This is what takes us to communion every week. It's a reminder of God's rescue of us. That's why you break that cracker like Christ's body that was broken for us, and you dip it in the wine of the grape juice. It reminds of his blood that was shed for you and me, that our God has sought to come and rescue us. And if your heart today is, is broken, it's torn. You're, you're under the weight of some burden. Jesus says, come to me. Come to me, and you will find rest for your soul. And it, many times that rest is a journey he begins to take you on, to understand who he is better, just like Solomon does in Ecclesiastes. It's, a, it's that journey. But he brings you to a place to understand who he is and what the gospel is, his death and resurrection for us that leads to a changed and redeemed and restored life for all of us. The band's going to come up, as they do. Maybe some deacons and elders in the back. And if you guys need prayer, if you are in a place today where you feel like there's some injustice in your life or maybe you have a heart issue where you're weighed down under the weight of something and you want someone to be able to pray with you, to talk with you through whatever is going on in your life, they would love to do that with you. They would love to to begin to talk through the issues that you are facing or dealing with. And maybe you just need someone to listen to you for a little bit. Maybe you can't even express what's going on, but you, but you want to talk. They, they love just to listen to you for a bit and pray with you. They would love to be able to do that for you because this is kind of what, what God does. He takes us as a people and places us into relationship with one another. And by so doing, we can step into those places that are hard in our lives with each other. So I would encourage you, if you need to, uh, pray with them. There's offering boxes next to every door Uh, we give because God gave so much to us. Giving then is part of our worship. It's a response to what God has done. We don't pass a plate. Uh, There is snacks and stuff outside. Uh, You can grab some, maybe take some sermon notes, sit down with people this week and kind of talk through some of these things. You know, where do you see injustice in life around you? You know, where, where, do you, where do you struggle trusting God? What thing is weighing heavy on your heart and soul right now? What are, what are your heart reasons for believing or disbelieving in God? What are your head reasons for believing or disbelieving in who God is and the injustice you see in the world around you? And come alongside one another and speak through those things. But in the end, hopefully you'll come to a place where you understand the good news of God's rescue of us because that's where it all comes to its ultimate culmination is that our God, has rescued us. We don't rescue ourselves. We are people who get stuck in nets like, like birds and six-pack wrappers around our necks and we go down at the most inopportune times, right? But God steps into those and he teaches us as we grow through that and he calls us to himself because he is good. And so we trust him for his great rescue of us. That's who we listen to over the vapor. Let's pray. Father, this morning, I ask that you would remind us of who you are, of your grace that has been extended to us by you coming and rescuing us. Father, I ask that we'd be a people who don't just sit back and, and question everything, but we actually look for answers. We listen to the things that you have provided. I ask that you would remove anything that stands between us and you, and so when you speak, we would hear, we would listen, we would follow you, that we would hear you over all the vapor that is around us. There are so many voices that want to speak into our hearts and lives, and most of those voices pull us away from who you are. And so this morning we ask that, your spirit would come and speak and lead and guide us to hear your voice, to trust the things that you have said, and that we would then understand your great salvation of us, and we would then step out into the world around us, and we wouldn't just keep it personal to ourselves, but we would begin to live lives that touch others around us. That brings hope and truth, and your grace to the situations that we are in because we are your hands and feet to this world. Father, teach us to love because you have first loved us and to just have our hearts undone because of your goodness and to trust you in the things that you have said. We ask this in your son's good name. Amen.